0: Oh uh, hello! Uh, um. Well, uh, welcome to Adventures in Bookland. This is the third title change, third, third title change for this podcast, and uh, now this podcast has, has now had two name changes. Movies and superheroes didn't last very long, and hopefully we can stick with this one. Uh, but uh, basically I've changed the. We're changing the direction of this, of this, uh, of this podcast. Um, uh, we're gonna mainly be focusing on books. I'm reading books now, um, and occasionally I'll, i uh, occasionally I'll try to review movies, um, and uh, and wrestling because I a lot of people I, I don't talk about. Um, I, don't, I never mentioned that I'm a wrestling fan, but yeah, I like I like wrestling. I, I mean, I I like the WWE, I like AEW. Um so yeah, um uh and occasionally music too. So yeah. Um but um yeah. This podcast is um I just want to say thank you. Thank you for uh, all the people who have stuck around and decided to continue watching these episodes. Um Um, and, uh, yeah, so today, um, I finally found an opportunity to record, and, uh, well, uh, we're gonna, we're gonna get started, um, so, uh, we're now on episode eight, episode eight, wow, we're now on (laughs) chapter eight of The Horse and His Boy, uh, go watch the previous parts to, to catch up. Um, on what's been going on and um well uh, let's get started so chapter eight in the house of the tishrock oh my father and all the delight of my eyes began the young man muttering the words very quickly and sulkily and not at all as if the tishrock were the delight of his eyes May you live forever, but you have utterly destroyed me. If you had given me the swiftest of the galleys at sunrise when I first saw that the ship of the accursed barbarians was gone from her place, I would perhaps have overtaken them. but you persuaded me to send first, to send first and see if they had not merely moved around the point into better anchorage. And now the whole day has been wasted and they are gone gone out of my reach the false jade the and here he added a great many descriptions of queen susan which would not look at all nice in print for of course this young man was prince rabbit was prince rabidash and of course the false jade was susan of narnia compose yourself O my son said the tisrock but the departure of guests makes a wound that is easily healed in the heart of a judicious host but i want her cried the prince I must have her. I shall die if I do not get her false, proud, black-hearted daughter of a dog that she is. I cannot sleep, and my food has no savor, and my eyes are darkened because of her beauty. I must have the barbarian queen." How well it was said by a gifted poet, observed the vizier, raising his face in a somewhat dusty condition from the carpet, that deep draughts deep drafts from the fountain of reason are undesirable undesir- are in order to extinguish the fire of youthful love. Pause. Uh so I say, can we get some more plays on *The Horse and His Boy* Part Five, please? Like, it only has one play, and it was there was a period of time there was a, a time where it had zero plays. Like, please, guys, I I I know reading books reading reading books isn't the most exciting thing, but like. Please please just get some more likes on it. Because now this is the new direction we're gonna take. So I hope yes, it's gonna take a, a little while to adjust to this and hopefully I can stick to this. You know, reading books, um because I because I, I feel like if I keep changing if I keep changing what this podcast is ab- about, that I'm going to that people are gonna start turning away and I don't want that. So Yeah, so, um, but please, please, I although I appreciate you guys watching these episodes, please, um, please give, um, please, uh, listen to the Horse and His Boy Part 5, uh, get some more plays on it. Thank you. And also the previous Horse and His Boy episodes as well. All right, back to the book. This seemed to exasperate the prince, dog, he shouted, directing a series of well-aimed kicks at the hindquarters of the vizier. Do not dare to quote the poets to me. I have had maxims and verses flung at me all day, and I can endure them no more. I am afraid Aravis did not feel at all sorry for the vizier. The tisrock was apparently sunk in thought, but when after a long pause he noticed what was happening, he said tranquilly, my son, by all means, des- desist from kicking the venerable venerable and enlightened vizier, for as a costly jewel retains its value, even if hidden in a dung hill. So old age and discretion are to be respected, even in the vile persons of our subjects. Desist, therefore, and tell us what you desire and pr- propose. I desire and propose, O oh my father, said Rabidash, that you immediately call out your invincible armies and invade the thrice-accursed land of Narnia and waste it with fire and sword and add it to your illimitable empire, killing their high king in all of his blood except the Queen Susan, for I I must have her as my wife, though she shall learn a sharp lesson first. Understand, O my son, said the Tishrach, that no words you can speak all... That no words you can speak will move me to open war against Narnia. If you were not my father, O ever living Tishrock, said the prince, grinding his teeth, I should say that I was the word of a coward. And if you were not my son, O most infl- inflam- inflammable, inflammable Rabadash, replied his father, your life would be short and your death slow. When you had said it, the cool, placid voice in which he spoke these words made ravish's blood—blood, excuse me—run cold. But why, O oh my father, said the prince, this time in a much more respectful voice, why should we think twice about punishing Nanya any more than about hanging an idle slave or sending a worn-out house or sending a worn-out horse to be made into dog's meat? It is not the full size of one of your provinces. A thousand spears could conquer it in five weeks. It is an unseemly blot on the skirts of your empire. Most undoubtedly, said the Tishrach, these little barbarian con- countries that call themselves free, which is as much as to say idle, disordered, and un- unprofitable, are hateful to the gods and to all persons of d- discernment. Then have we suffered such a land as Nanya to remain thus long unsubdued? No, O oh, enlightened prince, said the Grand Vizier, that until the year in which your father, exalted father began his salute, so salutary and unending rain. The land, of Nor- the land of Narnia was covered with ice and snow, and was more overruled by the most powerful ent- entran- enchantress. They're talking about the White Witch here. But you guys, if you if you know Chronicles of Narnia, you would not, You guys know that. Anyway, this I know very well. Oh, loquacious vizier answered the prince. But I know also that the enchantress is dead. That's true. And the ice and snow have vanished, so that Narnia is now wholesome, fruitful, and delicious. And this change, almost learned prince, has doubtless been brought to pass by the powerful incantations of those wicked persons who now call themselves kings and queens of Narnia. I am rather the opinion, said said Rabidash, that it has come about by the alteration of of the stars and the operation of natural causes. All this, said the rock is a question for the disputations of learned men. I will never believe that so great an alteration and the killing of the old enchantress were effected without the aid of strong magic, and such things are to be expected in that land, which is chiefly inhabited by demons in the shape of beasts that talk like men and monsters are half man and half beast. It is commonly reported that the... It is commonly reported that the High King of Narnia, whom may the gods utterly reject, is supported by a demon of hideous aspect and irresistible maleficence, who appears in the shape of a lion. Therefore, the attacking of Narnia is a dark and doubtful enterprise, and I am determined not to put my hand out farther than he can draw it back. How blessed is Kalorman, said the vizier, popping up his face again on whose ruler the gods, the gods have been pleased to bestow prudence and circumspection. Yet as the irrefutable and sapient Tisrak has said it, it is very grievous to be constrained to keep our hands off such a dainty dish as Narnia. Gifted was that poet who said, but at this point a hosta noticed an impatient movement of the prince's toe and became suddenly silent. It is very grievous, said the Tishrach in his deep, quiet voice. Every morning the sun is darkened in my eyes, and every night my sleep is the the less refreshing, because I remember that Narnia is still free. Oh, my father, said Rabidash, how if I show you a way by which you can stretch out your arm to take Narnia and yet draw it back unharmed, if the attempt prove unfortunate? If you can show me that, oh, Rabidash, said the Tishrach, you will be the best of sons. Hear then, O Father, this very night, and in this hour I will take but two hundred horse and ride across the desert, and it shall seem to all men that you know nothing of my going. On the second morning I shall be at the gates of King Loon's castle of Anvald in Arjunland. They are are at peace with us and unprepared, and I shall take Anvald before they have bestirred themselves. Then I will ride through the pass above Anvald and down through Narnia to Kerpervel, the High King would not be there when I left them. He was already preparing a raid against the giants on his northern border. I shall find paravel, most Paravel most likely with open gates and ride in. I shall ex- exercise prudence and courtesy and spill as little Narnian blood as I can. And what then remains but to sit there till the splendor highly, puts him with Queen Susan on board, catch my strayed bird as she sets foot ashore, swing her into the saddle, and then ride, ride, ride back to Anvar. But it is not probable, O oh my son, said the Tisra, that if the taking the woman, either King Edmund or you will lose his life, or you will lose his life. They will be a small company, said Rabidash, and I will order ten of my men to disarm and bind him, restraining my behemoth, desire for his blood, so that there shall be no deadly cause of war between you and the High King. And how if the splendid Hyaline is at Caraparavel before you? I do not look for that with these with these winds, O oh my father. And lastly, O oh my resourceful son," said the Tishroth. You have made clear how all this might give you the barbarian woman, but not how it helps me to the overthrowing of Narnia. O my father, can it have escaped you that though I and my horsemen will come and go through Narnia like an arrow from a bow, yet we shall have Anvar forever. And when you hold Anvar, you sit in the very gate of Narnia and your garrison, and Anvar can be increased by little and little till it is a great host. It is spoken with understanding and foresight, but how do I draw back my arm if all this miscarries? You shall say that I did it without your knowledge and against your will and without your blessing being constrained by the violence of my love and the impetuosity of youth. And how if the high then demands that we send back the barbarian woman, his sister, or oh my father, be assured that he will not. For though the fancy of a woman has rejected this marriage, the High King Peter is a man of prudence, and understanding, who will in no way wish to lose the high honor and advantage of being allied to our house, and seeing his nephew and grandnephew on the throne of Colorna. He will not see that if he if I live forever, as is no doubt your wish, said the Tisrach, in an even drier voice than usual. And also, O oh my father, and over the light of my eyes, said the prince, after a moment of awkward silence, we shall write letters as if from the queen to say that she loves me and has no desire to return to Narnia. For it is well known that women are as changeable as wealth as weather cocks. And even if they do not wally believe the letters, they will not dare to come to Tashbon in arms to fetch her. Oh, enlightened vizier, said the Tisraq. BESTOW YOUR WISDOM wisdom UPON US CONCERNING THIS STRANGE PROPOSAL. O ETERNAL TISRAFF, ANSWERED AHASHTA, THE STRENGTH OF paternal INFECTION IS NOT UNKNOWN TO ME, AND I HAVE OFTEN HEARD THAT SONS ARE IN THE EYES OF THEIR FATHERS MORE PRECIOUS THAN CARBUNCLES. HOW THEN SHALL I DARE FREELY TO UNFOLD TO YOU MY MIND IN A MATTER WHICH MAY IMPERIL THE LIFE OF THIS EXALTED PRINCE? Undoubtedly, YOU WILL DARE replied the Tishrach, because you will find that the dangers of not doing so are at least equally great. To hear is to obey, moaned the wretched man. Know then, O oh most, oh most reasonable Tishrach, in the first place, that the danger of the prince is is not altogether so great as might appear, for the gods have withheld from the barbarian the light of discretion, as that their poetry is not like ours, full of choice, apothegums and useful maxims, but is all of love and war. Therefore, nothing will appear to them more noble and admirable than such a mad enterprise as this of Ow. for the prince at the word mad had kicked him. Desist, O my son, said the Tisra, and you estimable Vizier, whether he desist or not, by no means allow the flow of your eloquence to be interrupted, for nothing is more suitable to persons of gravity and decorum than to endure minor inconveniences with constancy. To hear is to obey, said the Vizier, wrinkling himself round a little so as to get his hindered parts further away from Rabadash's toe. Nothing I say will seem as pardonable. If not estimable in their eyes, is this a hazardous attempt, especially because because it is undertaken for the love of a woman. Therefore, if the prince by misfortune fall into their hands, they would they would assuredly assuredly not kill him. Nay, it may even be that though he failed to carry out the queen, yet the sight of his great valor and of the extremity of his passion might incline her heart to him. This is a good point, O old babbler, said Rabadash. Very good. However, it came into your ugly head. The praise of my masters is the white of my eyes, said Ahashta. And secondly, old Tisra, whose reign must must, and shall be interminable. I think that with the aid of the gods, it is very likely that Envoy will fall into the prince's hands, and if so, we have Narnia by the throat. There was a long pause, and the room became so silent that the two girls Hardly geared to breathe. At last, the Tishrach spoke. "Go, my son," he said, "and do as you have said. But expect no help, no countenance from me. I will not avenge you if you are killed, and I will not deliver you. If the barbarians cast you into prison, and if either in success or failure you shed a drop more than you need of in noble blood, and open war, and open war arises from it." My favor shall never fall upon you again, and your next brother shall have your place in Colonia. Now go, be swift, secret, unfortunate. May the strength of Tash the inexorable, the irresistible be in your sword and lance. To hear is to obey, cried Rabidash, and after kneeling for a moment to kiss his father's hands, he rushed from the room, greatly to the, greatly to the disappointment of Arabis, who was now horribly cramped, the Tisrach and the Vizier remained. O Vizier, said the Tisrach, it is certain that no living soul knows of this council we three have held here tonight. O oh, my master, said the hoster it is not possible that any should know. For that very reason I proposed, and you and your infallible wisdom agreed that we should meet here in the old palace where no council was ever held, and none of the household as any has any occasion to come. It is well, said the Tisrach, if any man knew, I would see it. I would see to it that he died before an hour had passed. And do you also, O prudent vizier, forget it. I sponge away from my own heart and from yours, all knowledge of the prince's plans. He is gone without my knowledge or my consent. I know not w- with her because of his violence and the rash and dis- disobedient disportion of youth. No man will be more astonished than you and I to hear that Anvald isn't in his hands. To hear is to obey, said hoster. That is why you will never think, even in your secret heart, that I am the hardest-hearted of fathers who thus send my firstborn son on an errand so likely to be his death, pleasing as it must be to you who do not love the prince, for I see into the bottom of your mind. Oh, impeccable Tishrak, said the vizier, in comparison with you, I love neither the prince nor my own life, nor bread, nor water, nor the light of the sun. Your sentiments, said the Tishrak, are elevated and correct. I also love none of these things in comparison with the glory and strength of my throne. If the prince succeeds, we have Arjun and perhaps hereafter Narnia. If he fails, I have 18 other sons, and Rabadash, after the manner of the eldest sons of kings, was beginning to be dangerous. More than five Tishrachs and Tashpanap died before their time because their eldest sons, enlightened princes, grew tired of waiting for their throne. He had better cool his blood abroad than boil it in in action here and now, O oh excel, O oh excellent vizier, O oh ex exel, excellent vizier. The access of my paternal anxiety inclines me to sleep, command the the musicians to my chamber. But before you lie down, call back the pardon we wrote for the third cook. I feel within me the manifest prognostics of indigestion. To hear is to obey, said the Grand Vizier. He crawled backward on all fours to the door, rose, bowed, and went out. Even then, the remained seated in silence on the divan, till Aravis almost began to be afraid that he had dropped asleep. But at last, with a great creaking and sighing, he heaved up his enormous body, signed to the to the slaves to precede him with the lights, and went out. The door closed behind him. The, the room was once more totally totally dark, and the two girls and the two girls could breathe freely again. Chapter 9, Across the Desert How dreadful, how perfectly dreadful, whimpered Sarling. Oh, darling, darling, I am so frightened. I'm shaking all over. Feel me. Come on, said the rabbit who was trembling himself. They've gone back to the new palace. Once they're out of this room, they're safe enough, but it's wasted a terrible time. Get me down to, what, to that water gate as quick as you can. Darling, how can you? Sweet, was I can't do anything, not now, my poor nerves, my, no, we must lie still a bit and then go back. Why, why back, asked Aravis, oh, you don't understand, you're so unsympathetic, said LaSeraline, beginning to cry, Aravis decided there was no occasion for mercy, look here, she said, catching LaSeraline and giving her a good shake, if you say another word about going back and if you don't start t- taking me to that water gate at once. Do you know what I'll do? I'll rush out into that passage and scream, Then we'll both be, be caught. But we shall both be k- k- killed, said Lacerling. Didn't you hear what the Tishwak, may he live forever, said? Yes, and I'd sooner be killed than married to a ha So come on, oh, you are unkind, said Lacerling, and I in such a state. But in the, but in the end, she had to give in to ravish. She led the way down the steps they had already descended. And along other corridor, and so finally out into the open air, they were now in the palace garden, which sloped down in terraces to the city wall. the The moon shone brightly. One of the drawbacks about adventures is that when you come to the most beautiful places, you are often too anxious and hurried to appreciate them. So that Arabis, though she remembered them them years later, had only a vague exp- impression of gray lawns, quietly bubbling fountains and the long black shadows of cypress trees, when they reached the very bottom and the wall rose, frowning above them, Lasareling was shaking so that she could not unbolt the gate. Aravis did it. There, at last, was the river, full of reflected moonlight, and a little landing stage and a few pleasure boats. Goodbye, said Aravis, and thank you. I'm sorry if I've been a pig, but think what I'm flying from. Oh, Aravis, darling, said Lasareling. Don't you change your mind, now that you've seen what a great man a Hoshda is? Great man, said the Ravis, a hideous, groveling slave who flatters when he's kicked, but treasures it all up and hopes to get his own back by egging on that horrible Tishrock to plot his son's death far. I'd sooner marry my father's Scullion than a creature like that. Oh, Ravis, Ravis! how can you say such dreadful things? And about the Tisroch, may he live forever, too. It must be right if he's going to do it. Goodbye, Sarah, said Ravis. And I thought your dress is lovely. And I think your house is lovely, too. I'm sure you'll have a lovely life, though it wouldn't suit me. I closed the door softly behind me. She threw herself away from her friend's affectionate embraces, stepped into a punt, cast off, and a moment later was out in midstream with a huge... Real moon overhead, and a huge reflected moon down, deep down in the river. The air was fresh and cool, and as she drew near the further bank, she heard the hooting of an owl. Ah, that's better, thought Aravis. She had always lived in the country, and had hated every minute of her time in T- Tashban. When she stepped ashore, ashore, she found herself in darkness for the rise of the ground, and the trees cut off the moonlight, but she managed to find the same road that Shasta had found and came just as he had done to the end of the grass and the beginning of the sand, and looked like him to her left, and saw the big black tombs, and now at last, brave girl, though she was, her heart quailed, supposing the others weren't there, supposing the ghouls were, but she stuck out her chin and a little bit of her tongue, too, and went straight towards them. But before she had reached them, she saw Bree, and Hoenn, and the groom. You can go back to your mistress now, said the Ravis, quite forgetting that he couldn't until the city gates opened next morning. Here's money for your pains. hear is to obey, said the groom, and at once set off at a remarkable speed in the direction of the city. There was no need to tell him to make haste. He had also been thinking a good deal about ghouls. For the next few seconds, Aravis was busy kissing the the noses and patting the necks of her women brie just as... as if they were quite ordinary horses, and here comes Shasta, thanks be to the lion, said Bree, Aravis looked round, and they were right enough for Shasta, who had come out of hiding the moment he saw the groom going away, and now, said Aravis, there is not a moment to lose, and in hasty words, she told him about Rabidash's expedition, expedition, "'Treacherous hounds,' said Bree, shaking his mane and stamping with his hoof, "'an attack in time of peace without defiant scent. "'But we'll grease his oats for him. We'll be there before he is. "'Can we?' said Aravis, swinging swinging herself into her wind saddle. Shasta wished he could mount like that. "'Brew-hoo!' snorted Bree. "'Up you get, Shasta. Can we?' "'And with a good start, too. He said he was going to start at once,' said Aravis. That's how humans talk," said Bree. "But you don't get a company of two hundred horse and horsemen watered and victualled and armed and saddled and started all in a minute. Now, what's our direction? Due north?" "No," said Shasta. "I know about that. I've drawn a line. I'll explain later. Bear a bit to our left, both you, both you horses. Ah, here it is." "Now," said Bree, "all that about galloping for a day and a night, like in stories?" Can't actually be done, it must be walk and trot, but brisk trots, trots, and short walks. And whenever we walk, you two humans. Whenever we walk, you two humans can slip off and walk too. Now, are you ready? Ha-win. Off we go, Nanya and the North. At first, it was delightful. The night had now been going on for so many hours that the sand had almost finished giving back all the sun heat it had received during. The during the day, and the air was cool, fresh, and clear, under the moonlight, the sand in every direction, and as far as they could see, gleamed as if it were smooth water a great silver tray. Except for the noise of breeze and wind's hoofs, there was not a sound to be heard. Shasta would nearly have fallen asleep if he had not had to dismount and walk every now and then. This seemed to last for hours. Then there came a time when there was no longer any moon. They seemed to arrive in the dead, the, in the dead darkness for hours and hours. And after, and after that, there came a moment when Shasta more clearly. And after that, there came a moment when Shasta. Noticed that he could see Bree's neck and head in front of him a little more clearly than before and slowly, very slowly, he began to notice the vast gray flatness on every side. It looked absolutely dead, like something in a dead world, and Shasta felt quite terribly tired and noticed that he was getting cold and that his lips were dry, and all the time, the squeak of the weather, the jingle of the bits, and the noise of the huss, not per putty- puppy as it would be on a hard road but the buggy the Buddy on the dry sand at last after hours of riding far away on his right there came a single long streak of paler gray low down on the horizon then a streak of red it was the morning at last but without a single bird to sing about it he was glad of the walking bits now where well, he was colder than ever and suddenly then suddenly the sun rose and everything changed. Changed in a moment. The gray sand turned yellow and twinkled as if it was strewn with diamonds. On their left, the shadows of Shasta and Hawin and Bree and Arabis enormously long raced beside them. The double peak of Mount Pyre, far ahead, lit, flashed in the sunlight. And and Shasta saw they were a little out of the course. A bit left. A bit left, he sang out. Best of all, when you looked back, Tashman was already small and remote. but tombs were quite invisible. Swallowed up in that single jagged edge hump, which was the city of the Rock, everyone felt better. But not for long, though Tashman looked very far away when they first saw it. It refused to look any further away as they went on. Shasta gave up looking back at it, for it only gave him the feeling that they were not moving at all. Then the light became a nuisance. The glare of the sand made his eyes ache, but he knew he mustn't shut them. He must screw them up and keep on looking ahead at Mount Pyre and shouting out directions. Then came the heat. He noticed it for the first time when he had to dismount and walk as he slipped down to the sand. The heat from it struck up into his face as if, as if from the opening of an oven door. Next time it was worse, but the third time as his bare feet touched the sand, he screamed with pain and got one, foot, got one foot back in the stirrup and the other half over Bree's back before he could have said knife. Sorry, Bree. He gasped. He gasped. gasped. He can't. I can't walk. It burns my feet. Of course, panted Bree. should have thought of that myself. Stay on, can't be helped. It's all right for you, said Shasta to rabbit who was walking beside him. "When You've got shoes on. rabbit said nothing and looked prim. Let's hope she didn't mean to. Let's hope she didn't mean to, but she did. On again, trot and walk and trot, jingle, 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 squeak, squeak. Squeak, smell of hot horse, smell of hot self, blinding glare, headache, and nothing at all different for mile after mile. Toshbon would never look any further away. The mountains would never look any nearer. You felt this had been going on for always. Jingle, jingle, jingle. Squeak, squeak, squeak. Smell of hot horse, smell of hot self. Of course, one try. All sorts of games with oneself to try to make the time pass, and of course they were all no good, and one tried very hard not to think of drinks, iced sherbet, 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 or sherbet, in a palace at Toshman, clear spring water, tinkling with a dark, earthy sound, cold, smooth, milk, just creamy enough and not too creamy, and the harder you tried not to think, the more you thought. At last there was something different, a mass of rock sticking up out of the sand, about fifty yards long and thirty feet high. It did not cast much, sh- much shadow, for the sun was now very high, but it cast a little into that shade they, they crowded. There they ate some food and drank a little water. It was not easy giving a horse a drink out of a skin bottle, but Bree and Hoenn were clever with their lips. No one had anything like enough. No one spoke, the horses were flecked with foam and their breathing was noisy. The children were pale. After a very short rest, they went on again. Same noises, same smells, same glare till at last their shadows began to fall on their right, and then got longer and longer till they seemed to stretch out to the eastern end of the world. Very slowly the sun drew nearer to the western horizon, and now at last he was down, and thank goodness the merciless glare was gone, though the heat coming up from the sand was still as bad as ever. Four pairs of eyes were looking out eagerly for any sign of the valley that Salopad the raven had spoken about, but mile after mile. There was nothing but level sand, and now the day was quite definitely done, and most of the stars were out, and still the horses thundered on, and the children rose and sank into their saddles, miserable with thirst and weariness, not till the moon had risen did Shasta, in the strange, barking voice of someone whose mouth is perfectly dry, shout out, there it is, there was no mistaking it now, ahead and a little to their right, there was at last a slope, a slope downward, and hummock's of rock on each side. The horses were far too tired to speak, but they swung round towards it, and in a minute or two they were entering the gully. At first it was worse in there than it had been in the open desert, for there was a breathless stuffiness between the rocky walls and less moonlight. The slope continued steeply downwards, and the rocks on either hand rose to the height of cliffs. Then they began to meet vegetation, prickly cactus-like plants, and coarse grass of the kind. That would prick your fingers. Soon the horse hoofs were falling on pebbles and stones instead of sand. Round every bend of the valley and it had many bends. They looked eagerly eagerly for water. The horses were nearly at the end of their strength now. And her stumbling and panting, was lagging behind Bree. They were almost in despair before at last they came to a little muddiness and a tiny trickle of water. Through softer and better grass. Through softer and better grass. And the trickle became a brook, and the brook became a stream with bushes on each side, and the stream became a river. And there came, after more more disappointments than I could possibly describe, a moment where Shasta, who had been in a kind of doze, suddenly, suddenly realized that Bree had stopped and found himself slipping off before them. A little cataract of water poured into a broad pool, and both the horses were already in the pool with their heads down, drinking, drinking, drinking. Oh, oh, oh said Shaston plunged in. It was about up to his knees and stopped and stooped his head right into the cataract. It was perhaps the loveliest moment in his life. It was about ten minutes later when all four of them, the two children, went near wet nearly all over came out, and began to notice their surroundings. The moon was now high enough to peep down into the valley. There was soft grass on both sides of the river, and beyond the grass, trees and bushes sloped up to the bases of the cliffs. There must have been some wonderful flowering shrubs hidden in that shadowy undergrowth. The whole glade was full of the coolest and most delicious smells, and out of the darkest recess. Among the trees, there came a sound Shasta had never heard before, a nightingale, a nightingale. Everyone was much too tired to speak or to eat. The horses, without waiting to be unsaddled, laid down at once, so did the Ravis and Shasta. About ten minutes later, the careful wind said, But we mustn't go to sleep. We've got to keep ahead of that Ravidash. No, said Bree very slowly. Mustn't go sleep. Just a little rest. Shasta knew for a moment that they would all go to sleep if he didn't get up and do something about it, and felt that he ought to. In fact, he decided that he would get up and persuade them to go on, but presently not yet, not just yet. Very soon the, the moon shone and the nightingale sang over two horses and two human children all fast asleep. It was a who awoke first. the sun was already high in the heavens, and the cool morning hours were already wasted. It's my fault, she said to herself, furiously as she jumped up and again, rousing the others. One wouldn't expect horses to keep awake after a day's work like that, even if they can talk. And of course that boy wouldn't, he's he's had no decent training, but I ought to have known better. The Others were dazed and stupid with the heav- heaviness of their sleep. Hee-ho, brew who, said Bree, been sleeping in my saddle, eh? I'll never do that again, most uncomfortable. Oh, come on, come on, said Aravis. We've lost half the morning already. There isn't a moment to spare. A fellow's got to have a mouthful of grass, said Bree. I'm afraid we can't wait, said Aravis. What's the terrible hurry, said Bree? We've crossed the desert, haven't we? But we're not in Archenland yet, said Aravis, said Aravis, and we've got to get there before Rabidash. Oh, we must be miles ahead of him, said Bree. Haven't we be, Haven't we been coming a shorter way? Didn't that Raven friend of yours say this, say this was a shortcut, Shasta? He didn't say anything. He didn't say anything about shorter. Answered Shasta. He only said better because you got because you got to a river this way. If the oasis is due north of Toshpan, then I'm afraid this may be longer. Well, I can't go on without a snack. Said Bree. Take my brittle off, Shasta. But please, said Hoenn very shyly, I feel just like Bree that I can't go on. But when horses have humans with spurs and things on their backs, aren't they often made to go on when they're feeling like this? And then they find they can I mean, aren't we to be able to do even more now that we're free? It's all for Narnia. It's all for Narnia, I think, ma'am, said Bree very crushingly, that I know a little more about campaigns and forced Marches and more the horse can stand than you do. To this, Howen made no answer, being like most highly bred mares, a very nervous and gentle person who was easily put down. In reality, in reality, she was quite, quite right. And if Bree had had a tarkon on his back at that moment to make him go on, he would have found that he was good for several out for several hours, hard going. But one of the worst results of being a slave and being forced Forced to do things is that when there is no one to force you anymore You you find you have almost lost the power of forcing forcing yourself So they had to wait while Brie have a snack And a drink and of course her and the children have a snack and a drink, too It must have been nearly 11 o'clock in the morning before they finally got going again And even then Brie took things much more gently than yesterday. It was really her though she was the weaker and more tired of the two who set the pace. The valley itself, with its brown, cool river and grass and most, and grass and moss and wild flowers and rhododendrons ro- ro- was such a pleasant place that it made you want to ride slowly.